think about like what I would be like in that scenario, you know? You're grieving for the pie before. <laughs> yeah. Grieving with the pie. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I grieve the loss of pies. <laughs> I mean, what was my life before? What will my life become? Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We are tonight's entertainment. Sad gig. Yes, I know who I am! Did IQs just drop shot? I could have been. I like this shit! Dance off, bro! It is your Welcome to the Atlantic Screen Connection Podcast. and welcome to the Atlantic Screen Connection podcast with Jason and Lee. I'm Jason. I'm Lee. And this week, we are three weeks behind everyone else with our take on David Lowry's A Ghost Story. Nobody listens to Atlantic Screen Connection for hot takes. Yeah, That's you're right. the exact yeah, opposite yeah. of our Maybe I should, just, I should start this whole episode over again. <laughs> doesn't matter. Anyway, but before we get to uh, our discussion on Ghost Story, I want to see how Lee is doing. How you doing, sir? Uh, I'm doing fine. Uh, I'm just a, a week after my birthday, so I have been mostly taking it pretty easily i've seen maybe this film and another film final portrait in my in my time of doing that and then other than that just been sort of playing video games binged crash bandicoot and just went into a small coma and that's probably why it's been eaten into my life man you know i'm really getting not getting shit done because crash bandicoot and it's it's not really a good excuse you know it's can't come home to get the wife come home and go like, hey, what'd you do with your day, honey? Like, crash medical. <laughs> so, but yeah, no, other than that, I'm, I'm grand. Uh, cool. Excited to talk about this depressing, depressing film. How about you, Jason? I'm doing well. I'm actually excited to talk about this, but I'm excited to talk about it for a very specific reason. Obviously, because I want to talk about it with you, but also because of our special guest today, Mr. Mike Denniston from War Machine vs. Warhorse. Marcus played original remake and a series of other podcasts. So please welcome Mr. Denniston. How you doing, sir? Good. Uh, you just handled all the promotion for me, so uh, I have nothing more to contribute. Uh, that was good. Thank <laughs> all right. you for having well, me thank on. you. We'll talk again next time. <laughs> bye bye, Mike. <laughs> that was Mike's hot take on a ghost story. He just pretended to be a ghost. But no, I'm, I'm excited to uh, to be on. I've, I've been uh, listening uh, for for a while, and I've I've always thought that the one thing. Your show was missing was my voice, so this will be uh, my favorite episode of all time. <laughs> Very cool. I've often thought the same. Uh, so this is this is great. We both get what we wanted. Yeah, that's it. So Lee and I are going to log out, and we're going to let Mike just take care of the rest of the show for us. Yeah. <laughs> I, I will host this. Uh, I don't know how the Atlantic screen connection will work with one one party. I, I guess it'll just it'll just be the Kentucky <laughs> screen connection, which will be fine. I'll have a subscriber base of two. Uh, but yeah. That, that'll be awesome. great yeah i'm looking forward to talking about this one i'm, I'm pretty uh pretty uh excited to, to have more discussions with people about a ghost story so this this will be a fun talk yeah it should be really great tell people where you are we understand that you live in a bunker somewhere where you know internet reception's a little bit weird that's why you're not necessarily on social sure. media a lot and so uh yeah that's my excuse okay cool and i hate people so i mean that's a better excuse <laughs> all right cool i mean why um, else would you have a bunker yeah uh if, if that sounds inviting uh i'm on I guess all the social media platforms under at War Machine Horse. If you if you want to try to bring me out and and talk about your bullshit, uh, I'll I'll <laughs> scroll through it. Um, yeah, but I mean, uh, a lot of my podcasts are on uh, followingfilms.com. Uh, we're on there with some other great shows, 
And uh, for the most part, I've been enjoying my summer not podcasting. You, know, you introduced the ghost story, both of you saying how late you're going to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, re- I recorded already on a ghost story, and it oh, just wow. sits on my hard drive because um, <laughs> it had one listener, me, and I was like, well, that sucked. So it just sits there, and oh, no. uh, maybe it'll make its way out to the world. No, it was a fun conversation. I talked with Alice Bishop over... Oh, she's great. I like her on when she comes on your show, man. Yeah, she she actually sort of penciled herself in for a ghost story. Said uh, when that comes out your way in Kentucky, which was very late, I want to be on that. So she had a lot of good insight. Uh, and then uh, we did the two older films because that's the concept of my show uh, about uh, a sense of place. Two films that were about people either trying to get back to or, or away from a particular place. Right. And we went back to a 68 film, I believe, called The Passenger with Bert. Or, sorry, that's with Jack Nicholson. That's a 70s film. Yep. And then there was a 68 film uh, called The Swimmer with Burt Lancaster about a man who decides to swim through his neighborhood. Uh, yeah, that's I had, I had not seen either one of those films. Oh, man. So yeah, it was, The Swimmer's yeah, good. It was, it was kind of a trippy week, yeah. Um, so I, I think they're, you know, they're certainly not ghost with Patrick Swayze, which a lot of people, Ugh. uh, think would assume we would do, but, uh, we went away from the supernatural and went to, to people basically, uh, feeling a bit lost, uh, in a community that they sort of once recognized. So I think that fits with a ghost story. I remember one of my buddies, uh, told me about the film, uh, maybe a year or two ago. And he says, you really have to check out this Lancaster film. And I had never heard of it. And when I put it on, I was like, what the fuck is this? This is this is genius and weird at the same time for something that comes out during those years. It seemed odd, but at the same time, like with anything going on in the counterculture and whatnot, it seemed wildly appropriate as well because you could take it in so many different directions. So, yeah, man, that's a good that's a good pull. Have you seen the uh, the Nicholson one, the uh, the passenger? A, a while back, man, but I can't recall uh, anything about it. It's one of those movies that I – I checked off on 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 Letterbox is like I I watched that and then I kind of read the description and I was like I had do for a rewatch. <laughs> See, I was hoping you you'd written a review just based on that. I think I've seen that. Anyway, here's my thoughts. Yeah. Three, stars. Yeah, three stars. No, I don't grade. I don't grade those things. I just click the watch button. Well, that says all you need to say about the passenger. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna have to go through your your letterbox logs oh. then, and then I'm I'm just gonna start uh, the last episodes of War Machine versus Warhorse. I'm just gonna base <laughs> yes. on whatever you've given parts to. Yeah, I I only did that because Tim Costa told me he says, hey, "Why why are you posting this now? Watching with Jason on Facebook? Facebook's a fucking." piece of shit place to do that go get a letterbox sounds like, like a lovely gentleman oh tim is beautiful <laughs> Very i really like tim costa <laughs> but that's it so he says get a letterbox like a normal person and i was like, i don't anyway so i did that's a that's a very skewed take on normal person like oh he did i'm not this isn't verbatim this is me interpreting whatever the hell he was saying but you know you know the sad thing about letterbox is that you slowly start to realize how much garbage you've watched. Like the percentage of crap that you've watched <laughs> outweighs, you know, the good stuff that you've watched. Yeah. I mean, if I look at it, I'd be like, wow, less than 5% of what I've watched is actually shit that I really enjoyed. <laughs> you know, you're like, where? So do you actually, do you track your like, you know, diary or like your, what I watched this year on Letterboxd like a lot of people no, do? No, man. I just uh, like, uh, I, there's a series of dates sometimes when I, when I watch something. I'll add the date when I watched it. But I mean, like just today I was kind of adding a couple of titles and I was going through it like, uh, oh, I remember the flight of the navigator. That was all right. Watched, you know, but I didn't watch it today. I was just going uh, according yeah. to that. But yeah, I think the right. last film that I did watch that was a new watch for me was Jackie, which was about two weeks ago. It probably felt like it was, it took about two weeks to watch that thing too. 
I, I man, you know what? I, I'm actually really enjoying it. It's really, you know, I, I'm actually thinking about rewatching it just so that I could pick up a couple of things because there are a couple of videos that they're in there that they do with with, uh, with Jackie, and I was like, this is kind of fun because it's it's pretty much frame for for frame. And I remember when I was listening to Portman, I, I couldn't make up my mind as to whether or not she was actually really good or this was a really kind of impersonation so i was like fuck but anyway so i went back to watch a couple of videos and i was like yeah it feels more like an impersonation i don't feel like she was actually acting so sure. you know that kind of takes the movie down a couple of pegs for me but the overall story and the whole thing with jfk and all that stuff is always something that i've been really fascinated with for some reason i have no idea why maybe it has to do with the fact that it is a ghost story in and of itself the fact that he's haunting the u.s now as this one thing in in, in history that's kind of a blemish but i um I get, I get, I get a lot of the one uh, thing, yeah. the one thing, the, one, the only blemish we no, have. No, 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 I didn't mean it that way. I think I need another coffee. But I mean, I mean, I meant in terms of political assassination. Long story short, I thought Jackie was really good, except for the fact that I figure that Natalie Portman was making more of an impersonation rather than taking it the role and making it her own. So that was it. Anyway, anything? Did you, what did you watch recently, Mike? Anything interesting? Uh, I told you, gentlemen, that I uh, I fell asleep briefly. I started a <laughs> contact this morning at the gym. Yeah. Not really the best pumping yeah, iron movie yeah, to be watching. <laughs> uh, Jodie Foster sort of uh, laying on uh, very nice cars and vehicles uh, as she listens to to sounds. You know, hopefully from another another planet, another galaxy. Uh, but it had been. I think I've not I've not seen this one since like. I was in like middle school or something. It was like an initial release, maybe when it came on video the first time around. And I know there's some people who are really, I think Hyro from True Romance is really passionate about it. But I previously, yesterday, watched Another Earth. Uh, this is for a, a War Machine versus Warhorse episode on uh, Close Encounters. They'll be coming up over, over Labor Day. My previous two days have been, it's been uh, encounters with, with aliens, so... And you gentlemen from other yeah. other parts of the world. I can see you <laughs> aliens. aliens as well. So Yeah. All right, cool. So anyway, my Lee, did you did you talk about I forgot if you talked about what you'd watched. No, who gives a shit? Let's okay. go to the talk. Alright, cool. So <laughs> Hello, I'm Andrew. And I'm Bernadette, and we're the AB Film Review. We're a weekly film review and discussion podcast from Perth, Western Australia. We're a married couple who like to spend our Saturday evenings avoiding reality by discussing and often arguing about the latest films and some classics. And getting closer to divorce. Uh, you can find us on the Podrose Network at podrose.com, also on Twitter at AB Film Review, Facebook AB Film Review, and our website, abfilmreview.com. That's a lot of ABs. And gentlemen. Welcome to Pop Culture Case Study. Hi, I'm David Hart, host of Pop Culture Case Study, a podcast that analyzes film from a psychological angle. On Thursdays, we take a look at an older movie, pick a theme, and then apply the research that has been in the psychological field to it. Then on Monday, we tie all of that to a new release. Lastly, there's a section of the show called Fangirl Fixation, dedicated to my wife Britt's ongoing film education. We discuss older films that she's recently seen, as well as the upcoming releases for that week. You can find Pop Culture Case Study on your podcast player of choice, and I will be there, as always, diagnosing your favorites and judging you for what you watch. When I was little, we used to move all the time. I would write these notes, and I would fold them up really small, and I would hide them. What did they say? Hey, Sheila. They were just like things I wanted to remember, so that if I ever wanted to go back, there'd be a piece of me there waiting.
Welcome back. I hope you guys enjoyed the trailer for A Ghost Story, a film directed by David Lowry. It stars Casey Affleck and Rooney Mara. So I want to see what Mike thought of the movie because I texted you, Mike, um, to see if you were interested in coming on to talk about A Ghost Story. And the text that I sent you, it was, what did you think? And you said, best movie this year. And I said, text it back. Are you pulling my leg, Deniston? <laughs> and he was like, nope. And I still think that Mike might actually think it's... Uh, has his take and it's going to be like, this is a piece of shit. I tricked you all. <laughs> yeah, there's always that possibility. We're just gullible. Such confidence in, in me being a jackass. I don't, I don't know. I guess I take that as a high compliment. But, anyway. but uh, yeah, so I mean, uh, I, wanted, I wanted to see what, what your take was on the film. So take it away, man. I outright despised it for about the first 20 minutes. I okay. knew it! Like, I, 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 I'm, uh, yeah, it, it, this is one of those uh, really kind of great fucked up movie going experiences where uh, I thought I was in for something that I, I was basically cursing Sundance yet again because I, I have a bad history with these these right. movies that get uh, great reviews at Sundance. Even something like The Big Sick, which I I enjoyed. Right. Uh, you know, the, all the reviews I was reading is like, you know, is this the best film of the year? Yeah. And the, you know, it's it's going to redefine romantic comedies. And I came out I was like, oh, it's pretty cute. I, I like some of Ray Romano's you know bit in right. there. I like when he <laughs> cheats on his wife. I thought that was <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> this uh. You know, the, the, this style of filmmaking is not really my bag. Um, I, 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 w- I think I would have been all in for the first 20 or so minutes as a teenager. And then as an old man, I really I, I do not appreciate like long, slow takes right, of right. nothing happening. Um, I, you know, I, I think when you're younger, you kind of just appreciate you know, just that, something I, yeah, new. Yeah, those, those, those could be absolutely off-putting, especially for like mass audiences as well. Like, you know... You watch a story, you want a story to happen, not like just a lingering yes, time. Yes. I mean, obviously right. a lot is being said there in that long, you know, hold from a director's standpoint, maybe from a metaphorical standpoint, but most people don't give a shit about that. You know, <laughs> they're really just like, yeah, move along. Come on. That goes back to some of these, these festival films. Is I, I do think the stuff that just sticks out as a, a breath of fresh air uh, gets really high regard because when people are watching, you know, I've been to film festivals and you know you watch like 20 movies in a weekend if something's just sort of weird you're like well this holds my interest mm-hmm. but if you're just you know if you've worked all week long and you're going out with your wife to the movies this <laughs> might be really abrasive yeah, where yeah. you're like all right tell yeah, me something absolutely. that being said i you know i i did come around to this film and it was after i i guess 
it's strange because the point that I really got into it is when the film got quieter and slower. Mm. So it's like when they removed the people, basically when you remove Rooney Mara and there's nothing wrong with her performance here, but when you get into the solitude of what Casey Affleck's ghost life is going to be like, I got really into it. I really like, I enjoyed the, the passage of time. I enjoyed the, the effect of it. I, I enjoyed him attempting to connect, I guess, with a, another a neighbor. Yeah. Uh, that's really about the only yeah. dialogue you have in the film. And it's, it's so, it is refreshing. You're like, Oh, finally, you know, someone's talking to me, but it's in this very stilted, like, I don't know. Ghosts are not that, ver- they're not really interested in your neck of the woods, are they? Like, they don't do what Jason did at the top. Like, Hey, what's going on with you? Cause they're pretty, uh, they're pretty one note. They're into their own bullshit and their own tones. <laughs> yeah, Self absorbed. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's, I came to appreciate it. I think it's, you know, it's usually a bullshit critique to be like, oh, you'll, you'll really get into this the more you watch it. But I did feel that way because upon second watch, I, I'm going to know ahead of time. I'm going to have confidence in Lowry that this is going to make me feel something where at the beginning of the film, I don't have anything invested in these characters just yet. And I feel like, I did feel like it was a little bit, uh, abusive towards especially the uh, the Rooney Mars character, her grief. I, I I've heard a lot of good things about that pie eating sequence, but I, I that was about where I was getting ready to either slip my wrist or just get on Twitter, which is basically <laughs> the same thing in the theater. And uh, yeah, I, I really got into it. I, I found it I found it really really moving and uh, a really kind of cool look at uh, creativity. Yeah, that's a very interesting thing because um, you were saying to us before the show actually started recording. That you saw the film as something as like a, a look at the the creative po- process, which is not something that ever crossed my mind when looking at the film. But that's really interesting. Maybe we could hear a little more about that. Well, I mean, you see his character. Uh, you know, I talked about the passage of time. You know, where and there's. I think you mentioned earlier, Jason, this this guy at a party who. Uh, really likes to hear himself talk that goes on on the meaning. Yeah, it's just the <laughs> like, meaninglessness of life. It's very nihilistic ranter. He's like a he's a famous musician, apparently. I, I've never heard of him. There is a famous musician in this film that we're talking <laughs> about that I was not aware of. Yeah. But yeah, she's she's in here again. The, uh, Kesha. Kesha. The, the great the great songstress of our time. You know, centuries from now, people will still remember her. But no, I, I thought, you know, and. In that big rant of that guy's, he's he's both talking about the the importance of particular pieces of art uh, that can last, and then also, I guess, the the arrogance of man to think that he will create something that will last. Because he's 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 citing very few examples of things, you know, centuries past that are still relevant to us. Right. And I felt how it sort of works with the relationship is. Uh, I think you were initially introduced to the Casey Affleck character who's, you know, he's not a bad guy. We don't really know enough about them and their relationship. Uh, but th- there is something, some sort of argument that has been festering between these two. And I do think he comes across initially kind of distant. Uh, mm-hmm. he, he's doing something with music and he seems really involved with that piano. He seems really like sort of take to it more than he takes to like his wife's concerns and I, I always think with like romance films, the thing that bothers me is that they, they do demand from the characters in some regards. Like I think audiences get off on the fact that at least one party is going to have to make some sort of ultimate sacrifice right. to like earn the other partner's affection. And it's never balanced. It's, I mean, it, they, they try to put this bit of theater on where you, you see two people who are like, you know, they're perfect for each other. If you know, one of them would just stop being an asshole. And usually what they're being an asshole about is you know it's some part of themselves and i felt like okay is this gonna be another film where it's this guy who's really into his music he's really passionate about it 
and we're going to be looking at him like, would you just listen to poor Rooney? Like, just listen to her. And I, yeah. I found that to be fascinating because you know when we were talking about before we you know, actually got into this, I think you know we we put what he leaves behind in a very different context. And I, you know, that 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 piece of that piece of art, that song that he makes, you know, it's interesting how in that sequence where he sort of introduces it to her, and it is something like he's he's giving this is a part of myself. Like this is all the maybe some of the issues we've had here's like what's going through my head. Here's what I'm feeling that you didn't really recognize. And you couldn't recognize it because it's not assembled yet, but it's like this gift he gives her. And I feel like initially when she listens to that song, she enjoys it in the way that it's like, I'm kind of proud that you made this, but it doesn't like yeah, the way I read yeah, the scene was, it doesn't problem. <laughs> and yeah, it doesn't genuinely move me, yeah. but it's like, it's kind of like, Oh cool. Like that's, you know, that's, that's pretty, basically pretty neat that you, you create this. And I feel like it has a different, totally different context, you know, after he passes yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. that she, Absolutely. and so I think that runs counter to what that guy was saying. I mean, he's right and wrong. Like that, that song that Casey Havoc's character makes probably does not go on to change the world in any way, but it is the only thing that is lasting left for her. Yeah. It's genuinely moving when you see. So I, yeah, I, th- I thought it was a, a, you know, is a realistic take on people who want to create and leave a piece of themselves or put a piece of themselves out in the world. But, you know, it's also, it, it's kind of making it more personal. The, it, the only effect it probably will have if you do well at it is the, the friends and family close to you will, will get to know you better. They'll know a different shade that you can't, you can't express. And a lot of people do. I mean, I'm on a podcast, so obviously I can't express myself. I don't talk to my wife or my friends. I'm like, will you please subscribe to my podcast? But they don't. I don't have the Casey Affleck moment. Until I die. Yeah, yeah. You've got a whole like, fucking backlog of you shitting on fucking 300 movies a year. Yeah, my, my, my ghost story is me looking at Libsyn stats. I'm like, Jesus, it's blown up. If only I was still alive. I could still do it. <laughs> uh. But yeah, that's that's my spiel. So I, I'd like to hear your all's your all's take on because that's may, and maybe that's I focus on that because I I am creating something that most people don't care about. There's very few select people that it, you know my podcast will mean something to, and I probably don't even know those people. But I mean, we were talking about. I just want to hit back on what you were saying in terms of uh, the the rant, the guy that goes, uh, you know, basically talking about right. the uh, meaninglessness of everything, and. Um, I was, when I went to see the film, I was at Fantasia and I actually got to meet David Lowry and he was explaining uh, a little bit of, um, you know, that, that specific scene in the third act was him working out why he made a ghost story in the first place. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting oh, to get that, that perspective. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's absolutely. really interesting for him to basically try to work all this shit out because when you actually watch the film, you can feel like he seems to be piecing it together as he goes along. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so that you, mm-hmm. when you're talking about the creative process there, Mike, I think that's really interesting because the ghost story itself is one of those things, you know, it's the idea coming to fruition. And is it going to mean something in the end? We have no idea. It does have meaning for us right now, but ultimately, what the fuck is the point of all this in the end? We, we live oblivious to that. You know, we go, yeah. you know, throughout our lives, we try to do whatever the fuck it is we're doing. Eventually it's starting to creep up in me as I get older is like, I don't want to be, I don't want to be meaningless. I mean, I think that the, the, the whole sense of what you're trying to, you know, the creative process is something that I, for me is, is a way to find a sense of peace. It's where I figure I'm home and I can actually do something, whether I'm going to release it out into the world or, or, or something like that. That's up to me to, to go through that. But I thought that that was really cool about that, that tender relatability of that, finding that sense of peace, you know. At first, it's in the song. That's when he's actually alive. He'll be able to find work 
you know, a set, his sense of peace when he's contributing music in the piano. You know, we were talk, I'm going to talk about a little bit of possession a little bit later inside that house. And, you know, his creativity is somewhat, if you will, if you will, housed within those four walls. And he doesn't really want to go anywhere else because that's where he's at his most prolific. That's where he thinks he's contributing. No one can see it yet, like you pointed out, which is kind of interesting because it's only after he's dead. And it's kind of weird because that does play into a lot of like musicians that, that we lose. You know, I remember when, um, and this is just an example off the top of my head. I mean, Michael Jackson did have an impact while he was alive, but I remember when I was working at HMV, when he died, the week following his death, people were buying his records. And I was like, what the fuck are you guys doing? Why didn't you buy his, you didn't give a shit while he was alive for the last like 15, 20 years. You just talked about, you know, the whole kids scandal and all that stuff, which is fine. I get that. That's a topic conversation, but why are you buying? It's kind his- of a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> what did you say? It's kind of a big, kind of a big deal. Kind of a big deal. I get it. But the thing is, is that. Why are you spending the money on his stuff now and not tell him that you love him while he was alive, you know? What do you think it's it's because people like I mean uh, that that comments kind of brought up like uh, David Bowie, you know, we we've yeah, lost a lot of people yeah. in yeah. the last year. Yeah. And I I do think that yeah, there there're going to be a lot of people who maybe they didn't have any sort of exposure to him or they just, you know, they never downloaded any of his songs, but there there is this weird Thing where people want to—that's that's the grieving process, right? They want to reconnect. That it's like mm-hmm. one final yeah, time absolutely. in a way. Yeah. And I—that's that's why I really adore that scene with, with Rudy Mara because it's like you know this time it's it's her choice to go back and listen to it. It's not something that's yeah, saying hey, once you check this out. Whatever. Yeah. And I I think that that's yeah that that speaks also to the uh, the note that she leaves behind as well. That's great. It's, yeah. it's something that you know it's something that he feels like he needs to do, but at a certain point it becomes you know the quest becomes a thing itself it's not even what's on the note clearly in the film it doesn't matter yeah. what's on the no, no, note no. it's just the finding the note that's just he you have to have something to to pass the time even if you're a ghost you have to have i mean <laughs> so I, I think it's a very positive look at the the at creative outlets even if it's basically you know one of my favorite things it's speaking to to failure which is something i can totally understand i love movies about about failures but still still doing it because the the you know the play is the thing itself so like inside lewin davis is one of my my favorite films and that's about like the ultimate failure a guy that at every turn like <laughs> steals you know victory out of out of the jaws and is like nope don't need this i think i'll just continue to suck and casey <laughs> affleck is not that you know he's not that melodramatic a character he's a fairly normal guy but i i, I think the only issues that i could see with some people maybe not having as emotional connection to it is that the, the characters themselves are strangely blank as well. Sure. Like you, it's not just the ghosts. It's just that relationship. And I read where an interview where Lowry talked about that he removed a lot of dialogue yep. from the beginning because it was far too jarring. Uh, and I find that fascinating because I would like, I, I would love to check out that version of it to see like just what was that relationship like before? Cause I'm sure I, I believe him that it probably didn't work for the film. But what what did Casey Affleck and Rooney Mara bring to this dynamic that we didn't get to see because it just didn't fit with the the ghost sure. half of the film? Yeah, I guess it's just a matter of what you end up trusting in your actors that you didn't foresee in the first place. Uh, in a lot of ways, the the removal of dialogue it, it that's it kind of feeds into what I was thinking of the film uh, in terms of of grief and that uh, it's sort of potentially something that is happening right from the very start of the film. 
and that's why they don't have a lot of communication. It's mostly just tender watching. But it's it's interesting to think of of certain things, even with regards to the creative process. Uh, I was thinking uh, you you could even follow the trace of of if this is like the story being spelled out, you know, and they sort of they're talking it through at the start, uh, and then you know it's mostly about burrowing down and going separate ways to the division it causes to get it made, even if it ends in your death. And then you could follow that through, you know, maybe that work goes to the people. If you think of the Latino family who go into the family, maybe that's the work falls on deaf ears eventually people who don't understand what you're going for then it circles round to to the sort of underground hipster scenes you know these these vagabonds who start to understand the it and actually start to root for what you're trying to say then it pushes way past that to this corporate nightmare <laughs> you know this this future of this dystopian future of the world where like the, the legacy that you built, that house that you were you were hoarding all your creative potential in, has now been ripped apart and rebuilt as a like a mall slash business tower thing. You know, that's when the world really has a and, and then suddenly your creativity isn't yours anymore. It's everyone's and it's also mostly the financial world's creativity to to use. It's a product. Uh, and you know you could see that as Lowry looking at at, at the work like his work of a ghost story and going uh, I'm going to make another commercial sell up piece of shit and I'm going to think less and less the more money it makes of it you know because it's starting to it'll become less and less personal to me to a point where he has to then go back in time and remember the ground roots maybe of what that creativity was if you look back to the very start of the beginning of the building of the house right and then moving from there to reminiscing about what it was that really caught the, you know, lit the spark about that creativity, and that was the relationship between the two characters. Something was important there. So you see, there's kind of, you. I think the creative process is a really good way. It also kind of highlights exactly how open this film is, because you can apply a lot of things on that template almost entirely. You know, that sort of lost and regaining of something is very much the cycles in which we live life. Right. Um... Uh, and obviously that's the most telling story because it's a it's a ghost story you know you die you come back that kind of thing it's very on the nose if you look at it that way but if you take it into these metaphorical circles like the creative process uh you could see that that, that totally applies you could see that as as Lowry's looking at this film from start to finish what he's trying to achieve even with his career and the, the denouncing of these ideas with the the procrastin proc what do you call it? prognosticator is what he's credited as on 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 Wikipedia. Nobody has a fucking name in this. Yeah, you see that maybe as a, a guy, you know, maybe taking a shot at the idea of legacy and stuff like that. Maybe that's Lowry weighing up whether it matters or not in the process of this film in relation to the creative process. I think that's a, there's a lot of good stuff there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I want to just touch on what you guys were saying in terms of like removing dialogue. You have to – couples that have been together for a while, that's what I always thought a little bit unrealistic about specific films. Sometimes you're going to get a lot of exposition in, in terms of what they're doing. But if you're really going to have them tell their own story, usually people don't talk that much. I mean I'm here at home with my girlfriend and we talk. We have really fun conversations. But I mean we live in silence most of the time. You know, We can mm. feed off of what Absolutely. we're giving off. You know, Our vibes are going to be different. We know when we need to be left alone. You know, Maybe sometimes it's like what's, what's yeah. up. You know, I'm just in my bubble. I'm thinking about something. And it's usually very – you know, it's not monosyllabic. But at the same time, it's very economical in terms of conversations. Usually th stuff is communicated through our body language. And I thought that it's interesting for Larry to just take all that dialogue away because storytelling itself 
has to start with action before you actually have words, right? You have to have something in your mind. You're going to be, you know, if we look at stories and how they've been shared down through oral tradition, yes, oral tradition is fine because that's the telling of the story, but something has to happen before you're telling it, right? And so I figured that if we're going to have a story like this, a ghost story, literally in the title, it has to be about action. It can't be just about words. So removing the dialogue to me was key in actually making it what you guys were talking about in terms of just this openness, this vastness that we can actually have, even if we go down to the minuteness of everything that's going on. You know, you're talking about it coming full circle. It's the only way to go when you think about it because yeah, that's absolutely. the way the process is, you know. He goes back to where there is actually action happening. Before the house was there, there was land. And so you have to go back to where something is being built. Then you can talk about that being built over the course of you know whatever time passage there is in the film so i think that it was key for him to actually take the dialogue off because we don't need it there is there's so much relatability in the film obviously i don't travel through time that's not what i'm saying but i mean in terms of how (laughs) these people are experiencing experiencing time you know i think that that was very key in removing the dialogue because you don't want to impose certain conditions because then you'll start siding with one of the characters more than the other but this is very much the ghost story but at the same time you could argue that there are so many ghosts inside that story what happens to the spanish family what happens to rooney there are ghosts yeah. in our collective memories or our collective unconscious now because we have no idea where their stories have went because we're only viewing it through this guy or this ghost's lens if you will so that's that's one thing i really love about the film because i you know i i did not want this to be how do how do how do things affect rooney and her her future progress right uh, because you obviously this is a tragedy and i I also don't want to see you know uh creeper casey having to to watch you know the new man come alive (laughs) i I don't need him to have a freak out like that that was that was a crossroads right there that was a totally terrible film and a really good film and Jesus, the right call there was, was such a breath of relief. Well, there's a more honest sense of loss there because it's just, you know, she just, she leaves the place. You know, she's, yeah. she sticks around and she grieves, but, you know, eventually she has to get back to her life and she wanted to leave. Like when they were married, she can't just yep. uh, be beholden to, to him and his memory in that one place, uh, which also goes back to the music. I think she's going to take that. She has something. She has something you know, it's not quite tangible. I mean, it's, you know, I'm, I'm assuming it's uh, some sort of digital copy she's got there, but she's got the iPods and she's able to, to move on. You know, she has him there if she wants to queue him up and she has him there in her memories too, as, as Jason was saying. And uh, it's interesting because when you do finally get to that epic monologue, I, I was, when I was talking with Alice about it, I was, you know, someone that was craving dialogue at the beginning of the film, like, please, oh, okay. someone just talk. Like, and then when he starts talking, I'm like, would you just shut up already? Yeah. Like I've got so a nice cool. groove going yeah, on man. here. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that's very purposeful on Lowry's part because he makes you. It's like for a little bit, you're you're thankful. It's like you know, you you get a, a a drop of water in the desert that someone someone is just saying something, but then you you do realize like I don't need to hear this bullshit. Yeah, like yeah. this guy, this guy is pontificating on something. It's all theorizing. He's not actually living it. And it's like you know, we got a guy in a sheet here. It's got to get. He's got some business to get to. He's got to find that damn note. He's got to yeah, scratch through that exactly. wall. So why don't you shut up and let him go about his his work? But it, it's it's really interesting. I I do think that it's one thing that I I do I'm concerned with the response to the film because I think that people who are into movies, uh, in particular, might gravitate towards it because as you all have said, you can project a lot of different things onto oh, yeah. it. Like you, whatever whatever you bring yourself to the theater yeah. is probably what you're going to focus on. I I probably focus on the creative side of it because I I think like. You know him spending his time doing something that is very solitary and trying to put it out in the world that that appeals to me 
for whatever reason because I like to waste time on the on, <laughs> on, with headphones that's, on. That's what I. That's what I've lost. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's my ghost but, story. But uh, yeah, I, I do think that you know general audiences. I, there is the danger with you know with cinephiles and you know film Twitter that we just sort. We will just talk something to death, and uh, you know, at least you were saying you know some people are just going to be like you know just I I want to hear that character express himself i want to to feel what that character's feeling i don't want to have to assume what i'm feeling is what he's feeling and i think that's a totally understandable point to make it the, the film i found to be deeply moving but i could understand someone saying i want you know this actor to be able to act and represent that character right, yeah. and he really is with with the sheet i mean the, lowry's doing everything possible to say that this is meant to be a projection you can't see his face you can't see his eyes he doesn't speak so you have to do a lot yeah, of heavy it's lifting. Literally here. a blank sheet. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I guess that's a question I had. I had coming into this for for both of you. Are, are there examples of like films that have kind of dipped their toes in the water as far as wanting the audience to really engage in that way that have worked for you, or maybe one that has really like not worked that has asked the audience to do most of the emotional lifting. Mike, this is our show. We'll ask the questions. <laughs> no, I'm the host now. You, you granted me the rights. So I've, I've changed the Twitter handle to the, the Denniston screen. Michael Denniston power hour. Um, uh, yes. Uh, uh, Terrence Malick's to the wonder, you know, coming off like tree of life, going to, to the wonder. Uh, I haven't watched night of cups yet. And I finished recently a song to song, which I really liked as well. I just like those those types of films because you have to take what you want to those films. And for some reason, I mean, if I if I if I look at it in terms of Ghost Story, if I look at it in terms of To the Wonder, even Tree of Life, I think a lot of why I really enjoys the those why I really enjoy those films is is the silence. You were pointing it out earlier. You know, when you just want that guy to shut the fuck up, <laughs> it, he Lowry in this case. And even Malik in his films, they'll use silence as, and it becomes therapy for me. You know, it blocks out all the white noise that, that's going on in the rest of the world where you're actually living these moments and you're like, I really like what I'm seeing. I really like what I'm hearing, even if it's just a faint music or if it's a, you know, and, and Malik's films, you know, you're going to have music that's going to be over it. But at one point you'll just be watching a butterfly and you're like, I can almost, you know, hear those little wings flutter and that's not supposed to be the case, you know, but I really think that in this case, that would be one of the reasons why is just that when I'm sitting there, there's this calm that comes over me. And I guess it's maybe something that I need in my daily life that just to sure. block that shit out and just witness something that's just very, very soothing in a way. So, yeah. Yeah, a lot, a lot of films, they use silence to bore me because they, they don't have anything to say or even show. So <laughs> I don't think that's the case for a, a ghost story. But there are films that are just like, do something. And, and and it's it's because what they're holding on, unlike Ghost Story, which has a lot of long holds that I'm like reading into and finding interesting. Some films they do just they just hold on things because they don't have any extra footage to show or any actions in mind. And you can kind of it's hard to sometimes tell the, the two apart, but it does happen. I'd say for uh, as an answer to that, uh, there was a film I seen last year called um, Cemetery of Splendor. Uh, it's um, it's a film from Thailand. I. I the the name of the guy who directed it is uh, is near impossible for me to pronounce. Yeah, uh, uh, this film it's it's very it's like uh, a ghost story. It's a very quiet film. It actually remi- ghost story reminded me a lot of times about it because there was a lot of me projecting my thoughts onto the film, and that it's it's about these sort of soldiers kept in like a uh, sort of a trance like coma due to sort of the fatigue of the country and its state of affairs at that time, and it's about a couple of characters who are just connecting 
in that area. It's, it's like the loosest story. It's it's basically unrecommendable. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and but it was something that really made a big impression on me because I'd never really quite seen a film like it before. And that's uh, that's not to say I thought it was a great film. I just I. I thought what it was maybe trying to say, what I was picking up on it, was a lot of me going back and forth about what I think the film's about, and I did the exact same thing with a ghost story. I was just uh, running through a list of, oh, I'm sure it's going for this, I'm sure it's going for that. It's it's it's, it's debunking the, the fairy tales of society that it's built upon. It's, you know, all this cultural guesstimation work. Did you feel that when you were watching the film? Because I, I didn't actually have that. At a certain point, I, I didn't... I wasn't really thinking about it from no, a, exactly, yeah. a craft level. Uh, it wasn't until afterwards on the car ride home where I was like, shit, I was like, what did you think about it? I was asking my wife and yeah, I told her my spiel and she's like, oh, you're an idiot. And I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> right on. Probably. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, when it comes to the ghost story, I, I did run through like a checklist of uh, maybe this is what the film is about. What's this? While I was watching it, until a point where I knew... Uh, the film wasn't trying to be about any of it. You know, it was trying to be so open that to just take one route was to inevitably miss the 999,000 other routes. And so, like, I, 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 while I did that for maybe the first 20 minutes, like, oh, so he's trying to say this, so he's trying to say that. Eventually, you kind of get the, the gist that he's trying to say a lot of things and nothing at all. And that kind of being the point. And I, I like films like that. I like films that I can either project on or that ask me to reflect uh and i think this is one this is a film that asks asks its audience to reflect on themselves a lot and for that to work that means you basically have to shut off the analysis side of your brain a little and allow the emotional side of your brain to work a little more and i actually i to show how bad it was i did try to do try to make a theory of that in the film while i was watching it too just to prove how (laughs) just to prove how i wasn't taking my own advice so I started seeing, like, he was framing um, Casey Affleck's ghost character on two different sides of the, of the of the frame at all times. And I started, like, oh, maybe he's, like, each time he's on the right side of the frame, it's, he's he's a memory to M, you know, to, to Mooney, Rooney Mara's character. And that's why it's the right side of the brain. Then left side, it's any time that um, she's thinking actively about him or or imagining something. I can't remember which side of the brain added up to which. We're going through this. You know, yeah, imagination's on the left side of your brain, right? You know, so that's... So it's like, it's yeah. more like projecting what you would hope they're doing and then also remembering what they would be doing depending on which side of the frame. And there were some scenes where that started to add up pretty well, uh, I was thinking. And then I was going, you know what? I'm not going to waste enjoying this film just to add up how many times he gets framed on certain sides of the screen. Yeah, I was like, whoa, that's a really that's a really riveting number contest I held for myself. But nobody <laughs> gives a shit. Can, it doesn't have anything to do with what the film's s- about. <laughs> We'll send that take to Brittany and so we're like, yeah, you're full of shit. I mean, she might appreciate that there's like an actual spreadsheet involved that she can look at, but I, I think she would she would glance at it. It'd be like it'd be like Rooney that first time she was song. Eh, that's pretty neat, and then she just set it <laughs> yeah, aside. that's right. exactly what it was like. I was thinking of that at the time when like oh, that's pretty neat if it's true. I why am I wasting my analysis? And an emotional investment in this to be the guy who goes, it's about the right brain or the left brain. There's somebody else, somebody more dedicated to technical craft who's going to be able to give you that. It's not going to be me. I, I like talking about the iffy gray areas and the wibbly wobbly parts of film, which are more, it's far more interesting. 
Uh, well, let, let's ask you your question, Mike. What, what movie was the last time that you felt something like this? It's it's probably a little bit of a cheat because, uh, yeah, I was not a fan of of song to song, and I, I do think uh, we we covered Ain't Them Body Saints on on my podcast, and uh, yep, I listened. It, to that. it was song to song was the new release for that one, but we were, we were looking at filmmakers that mm-hmm. had cited Malik as an influence, and so we had a previous uh, Lowry film with with Mara and Affleck in it, and I, I really dug it. Um, and it was int- I, I you know I can't get a handle on Malik really because you know you mentioned to the wonder which I I think I just avoided I mean I watched it on Netflix for God's sake I just stumbled across it and I'm like well how pathetic is this that <laughs> you know, Ter- Terrence Malick makes a new film Tree Life comes out and we're all like you know I'm there opening day got see it. and then he makes to the wonder and for whatever reason I waited till it was on Netflix and I just happened <laughs> to accidentally scroll and so I watched it and I didn't maybe it was the right. you know my expectations because you know it, it was not extremely well received which. Pretty much everything post Tree Life has not been, and uh, I really dug to the wonder. And I, I think it was that one. I've, I've said it. I don't know if it's more Middle America. It, it was like I felt like it was about a. I mean, Ben Affleck plays a construction worker of some sort. You know, he might be someone that's overseeing construction, but he's out in like Oklahoma with a Burger King behind him, and it's got that Terrence Malick sort of like dreamlike quality. And I don't know. I, I think I appreciated <laughs> yeah. that because it was you know it eventually got back to reality. And then you have something like Song to Song, which and Night of Cups, which are about rich people like going to festivals, music festivals, or they're on skyscrapers in L.A. arguing with their father and their brother. Like it's like the whole family decide to take the elevator up to a skyscraper like we're gonna have a family dispute but we need to have a scenic background and i'm just like uh, what are you what are you getting at man? Like, like really I, fun i have not seen any of these films but this yeah but good. it's <laughs> i mean the, stylistically they're very similar so it's interesting to me that you know i responded to one and I, like i said it maybe it goes back to projections that i felt like the to the wonder was about a real thing like i bought into that that romance because it feels like you know that that's the the premise of the film is this this sort of Parisian love story has to come back to Oklahoma and Burger King, <laughs> yeah, to reality. Yeah. And the other Amazing. ones, you know, not so much. I mean, the other one's a love triangle with Ryan Gosling and Michael Fassbender, and I'm like, oh wow, I, <laughs> I come into that problem every day, <laughs> <Yeah>. you know. <laughs> Especially if you're comparing it to Malik, uh, yeah, I think Lowry he's giving you a like an ABC story compared to that. Yeah, as far as right, we yeah. we're gonna you're we're gonna take course. this journey <laughs> with with this ghost, you know. I mean, it's gonna loop back around, but you know, it has a definite beginning, middle, and end. It just you know just comes back. That but some of the stuff I you know upon reflection, I don't I don't know if I dig as much. Like uh, Jason, you mentioned the uh, the sort of portal that is denied. And I, I feel like, yeah, I, want to I feel talk like that is that. like after watching the film, like, you know, when I initially I was just like, okay, yeah, I accepted it. Um, but after watching that feels so strangely on the nose for the rest of the film, it's a weird decision to have been left yeah. in there. It feels like that was maybe what you're talking about, where it's like decisions were being made early on and then changed. It feels like he changed his mind on how important some of those things were. And I, I don't know. I don't know if it fits. Like if I watch the yeah. second time around, I think that's going to stick out for me and, and bother me on the second viewing. I don't know, man. I mean, like when I was watching the film, I remember when the portal opened, I was like, <laughs> the white light. Okay. <laughs> and then after that, when he decides to avoid the white light, he's walking down a hallway and you can see like above the ghost head, it's just all these exit mm-hmm. signs. It says exit, exit, exit. And it's like, he's walking yeah, uh-huh. by so many different exits. And I was like, okay. I mean, is Lowry pointing to the fact that we actually have a choice, you know, to stay or to leave, you know? And do we get to witness the fact that we'll become these faded memories for everybody else? I mean, so are we just witnessing the, the, this, this memory fading 
you know, this person is not even really a person. He's just that one thing. And so that's why I thought, you know, I'll just get into quickly so we can circle back that that portal. If you look at what, like, just how brilliant a ghost story is as, as a title, you know, I, I feel like, you know, ghost has that double meaning where, you know, there's a, it can be a spirit, uh, you know, it could be a, 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 an adjective, just like the, mm. that small fraction of something, you know, the semblance of being something. You have this idea of it being a verb, you know, where you have a ghost writer, um, you know, shaping someone else's story. And so with that portal, I felt like he is telling us that we do have a choice, you know, in shaping our own story. And he was basically saying, I choose to believe that we could, once that door opens, we can actually decide to come back and let's say haunt the people that we are with just to make sure that we can find some sort of peace, you know, that sheet of paper that you were talking about in the wall. Or we could just basically say, that's it. I'm satisfied with what I've done. Fuck it. I'm going to go see whatever that is on the other side. There is the other interpretation is that the portal is there for us to understand that he's dead. Because if you see the guy get up, you know, maybe some people oh, are like, oh, around. he's not dead. He's going to walk around with his shit. Exactly. Yeah. That is not a hospital I want to go to with their, with their <laughs> reaction like, to a dude on. walking around in a sheet. No. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, that happens all the yeah. time. We saw a guy. He probably moved in next door to that dude. Yeah, I've, that's, so, I, that's I don't know. interesting. I mean, there, there, it seems to be a weird decision, but I mean, I think that that portal could either sig- like signify a choice that has to be made at one point, whether you want to live in purgatory for your entire life, or he's just basically signaling, yes, he's dead. Yeah, that's it. You know, and those exit signs was like, yes, he, he chose, he's dead. You know, but he's gonna choose the, to walk uh, around. Yeah. Yeah, memory, I mean, if like, you will. even if you want to take it to the other venues we've sort of already discussed, like the creative process, what it could be interpreted as is maybe this sort of window of opportunity. So, you know, like, you, oh, if you're, like if you're that, stuck man. into, you know, the process, you've already got yourself down and you're thinking, like, imagine you sit down to write a million things or just write the one thing, sorry. You know, you're thinking which way you're going to take it. And you walk down this fucking hallway and there's this one golden, ah, I should take that way in your head. And then you go, you know what, maybe I don't want to go that way. You're looking at it and it looks good because it's it's a big white frame. You've just died. Seems obvious, right? But, it, you know, you don't know mm-hmm. what's on the other side of that. You still don't, you know. It's, it's just a no, big a, white yeah. wall, you know. You walk through that. You don't know what the fuck happens. So, you know, you could go down the big, if you want to do the creative process thing. Uh, you know, it could lead you to all the success in the world for the easy way out, or you could take the fucking hallway, and then you got a million different exits, and and you're not sure which one to take. You just have to the roll with one and see where it takes you. I mean, that I think that's an interesting way to look at it. Uh, and when it comes to the the metaphor of you know death, I think you nailed it, Jason. The um, the concept uh, of uh, of it being a choice very much defines what a ghost is i think sometimes we need a little bit of contextualization maybe in the sense of this narrative mm-hmm. oh what the what the fuck are ghosts you know <laughs> so there's so many so so many uh, definitions and interpretation of ghosts in the world that we kind of just need a simplified version of it i think that was a pretty simple and a pretty straightforward one you you either Fire. You keep I just you keep living or you go in it. To be honest, I, it's because I but it's because I, I I looked up the etymology of the world the word before actually talking about it, and I was like, all right, usually it signifies as something bad, but it's something that that has a semblance of pastness, and I was like, okay, it makes a lot of sense, yeah. you know. But at the same time, it's just such a loose term. You could, like I said, it's a, it's a noun, it's an adjective, it's a verb. You can basically do this this entire thing, but 
at the same time, you know, the idea of a ghostwriter, I thought, was kind of interesting because Lowry has put himself in the position where he's actually telling someone else's yeah. story. And that's essentially what being a ghostwriter is. It's also a bit of a fantasy, though, for a writer, for a creative person. It's, a, I mean, I mean, it's a very sad fantasy because you can't interact with the world. But it's, it's like he's putting himself in his his place here, as far as you know. We we see Casey Affleck so focused. He's in that tiny corner of this this kind of. I mean, it's not a big house. And I'm not knocking it, but I'm just saying. I, I thought it was interesting <laughs> that it's not, you know, it, it's not some. Uh, glamorized version of living out in the country either. You know, it's yeah. not like they've got a big porch and, it, you know, no. it's just, it's just a nice little house for, for people who have not started a family yet. And he's got this piano in the corner and uh, like, there's a bit of a power trip for someone who maybe is so focused on this one little thing he's making that he steps back and can watch the world. Like, you yeah. know, he can, he can, he can have influences further, which I, I think there's, that speaks to what you all were talking about as far as Lowry's maybe fear of what he's creating. And also, but he's also still like, he's still trying to make something, but he's unsure of himself as far as what he's actually putting out there and contributing to the world. And here we have a central character who is all of those things are removed. He can't interact with the world anymore except to damage something in a rage. That's <laughs> yeah, it. But he can't, he can't put out anything. There's nothing positive he can put out there in the world. But, but do you think that that's the choice that I was talking about in terms of maybe staying or leaving, you know, because he could choose to interact with Rooney, but at the same time, well, we'll call her M. Uh, he could choose to interact with her, but at, at, he doesn't want to scare her as well, right? She has to kind of, he wants to observe to see if she's going to actually cherish his memory, which I think is a little bit, you know, when I, when I was watching it, I was like, is he doing this on purpose? Is it a test? Did is it a, he's, you know? he's stuck behind to check if she like worshiped him or something? That's a weird way to look at it. How many times <laughs> no, have you no, listened no, to that no, song? No, no. How many I'm, times do you have that on the shuffle? Yeah. <laughs> you work better be over fucking 100 every day since you died. <laughs> but just take it as an idea. Just take it as an idea. We were talking about, you know, leaving a potential stamp on people. Yeah. That's a very conceited oh, notion to have as individuals. We're like, I want to be remembered. And it, it's like, well, that's why, like, the whole rant at the end was like, no, we're all ins insignificant. In the end, this is going to be meaningless, perhaps. But at the same time, just that glimmer of hope that you might, you might have, might be remembered. Yeah. You know, I think that that, you know, we we're talking about legacy. I think it's innate in, in, in anyone. You know, and so I think that maybe perhaps him coming back, I don't know. I don't think he's doing it in a, well, in a violent way in the sense that like uh, he's just there standing brooding going like, what the fuck is she doing? Why isn't she listening to my music? I don't think that he's generally angry. I think he's sad that he can't partake in any of these things or he's choosing to not partake yeah. in any of these things. I don't think that it's really a test. But I mean, there is a spin that I could put on it where he is essentially there being like, I hope she doesn't fucking forget me. That's true. You know? Or he's just realizing, you know, there's the whole meaninglessness of it all as well. He's just sitting there going, fuck, I did all this. Yeah, yeah, you, you know, that, it, this, you know, this could be Lowry saying, you know, being a ghost is actually worse than being nothing. Because now you just got to watch yourself <laughs> be nothing. It's terrible. <laughs> exactly. You know. Well, I'll, I'll give my um, interpretation of the film anyway. It's uh, because I fought centrally. And again, it's because it's so wide open, it's hard for us all to sort of... That's how you see the, the scattershot idea train that we've been going on. We've just back and forthing many different interpretations of what we think this film means and how this film can apply to certain readings. Uh, so I'll give my uh, estimation of it, which was that because grief is such a central theme with uh, Rooney Mara's character, M, I, I started looking at how the film could be framed as a, a sort of exploration of grief 
And I think that centers around the house in that I feel that the house is basically a place to grieve, you know. Everyone that's there is grieving something, you know. Uh, okay. So, I, I kind of, it ties into this idea that I think that none of the characters here are truly alive. But I'll go into sort of explain what I think the narrative does first. And I, I think if we see that uh, Casey Affleck's character C, he dies in the surface narrative. When you consider him as a ghost, you're seeing that neither of the characters can communicate with each other. So in that sense, technically they're both dead, you know, uh, which is interesting, you know, because it suggests a, a mutual grieving, uh, something that we get to see two different aspects of how the grief process works. The separation of the two characters can be read very strongly in their methods of grieving. And in this light, you can kind of see the car crash as a sort of severing point of their lives, and we can ex maybe expand on that. But first, I just want to sort of list some kind of reasons why each character exhibits grief. Uh, and most of the reasons I've got are taken just from uh, Marie Curie's website, uh, as well as just sort of anecdotal. If you look at M, comfort eating is a huge grieving symptom. But then you've got solitude, which we've mentioned. Uh, the listening to music and the keep is keeping the memory alive. So there's there's a sense of grieving there. And that you're trying to connect with people. And I think that's very clear in the scene where she's listening to the music after his death. And they almost touch. Even though, you know, and it's kind of also gives us that idea that maybe there are certain methods that get us closer to those that have passed. Uh, you know, that, that, you know, even if they've passed on, like music, that sort of ethereal term that we use for like a collection of sounds is something that transcends natural understanding to be something closer to the ideas of like love and these uh, you know non-tangible things you know she clears the stuff out of the house potential overworking now i mean there's that uh montage where we see her kind of leave the house a lot that we could obviously see that it's just time passing and how long uh c has been there watching but at the same time we could also see it as her commitment to her job as a sort of process of how to just dig, dig deep and get on with her life um, she uh, she moves on both socially. She goes back out. She also moves on sexually. Uh, both we could consider either attempts of her at her trying to get over C, uh, or we could even see them as just sort of fronts that she's putting on as in a way to grieve further. Either way, they're kind of a part of the process. And then eventually she leaves the house, and that kind of signifies her moving on because to that point she's not in the story, and if the story we read it this way, is about grieving, you know, we can kind of take that and see that as she's finally gotten to a point where she can say she needs to continue on her life uh, and not continue with, like, mourning C. But if we look at C and as him as a mourner in, in his own way, uh, like, and just general symptoms, he finds it hard to sleep. He never sleeps. He's a ghost. <laughs> sure. But yeah, he doesn't sleep. Uh, restlessness, he never sits, even, you know, you kind of, you might bend over a couple of times, but he's always standing. No, he sits. When? Sits on the couch. When she's going, when she's leaving the house a couple of times, you oh, know, we see that one shot it. where it's just that pan left where she's actually exiting. He, he sits, he sits. Right, there. let me rephrase that. Uh, so we've got restlessness. He almost never sits. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, he does stand for years, presumably. So that's a, you know, he's yeah. reaching his stand goal. It's quite restless, I would say. Yeah, exactly. I would not want to <laughs> compete sheet, with him. That sheet's got to bend a little bit. Yeah, fair enough. Keep that sheet supple. <laughs> mm. 
<laughs> metaphors of supple sheets. I'm looking forward to your interpretation, Jason. What could it mean? Well, he uses bounce clearly because. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we got we got solitude as well. We got possessiveness, uh, uh, which kind of ties into both his possession of grief. Uh, and that if we look at how he possesses the house and that he throws the plates at the Latino family, it's kind of like a sort of warding off. See, I, I, I mean, I thought that was just he didn't want to get too comfortable with that existence. I thought he, you know, because you have that conversation with the, the, the neighboring ghost uh, who no longer remembers what he or she is even waiting for. Sure. And you see the Christmas tree the, the child sees him. I felt like that he was in danger there of becoming the ghost for that of family this in that house. house. Well, I, yeah, that's, de- that's definitely a, a really interesting way to say it. He, he didn't want to fall into the through the the cliche of being a house ghost. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I, I think that possessiveness over over grief is something that people exhibit. You know, where they shut people out and they protect their own grief as a sort of reaction to sort of. Attempt, attempt to preserve the memory of the person they've lost. Uh, so mm-hmm. you've got that and you've got the violence uh, that he exhibits that sort of falls in with the the, the possessiveness uh, as well as the sort of soul searching. That's something that people end up trying to do and what better sort of metaphor can we do that where he finds another ghost uh, and tries to communicate with her. There's some soul searching aspect there. That's also another sort of grief yeah, route to recovery kind of thing. Trying to find yourself and uh, maybe you do it through yeah. others, or maybe you do it yourself. There's extolation of the written word, so that's sort of we've got this idea that he, he treasures M's final note, and that's almost to a point of eulogizing it. So it's kind of, in a sense, you could read that not only just trying to get over, uh, you know, you could read that in the in the film's narrative as a sort of the ghost is trying to, you know, reclaim his own relationship. But at another point, you could see if he's the grieving then he needs this to move on, you know. He needs the final missing piece of the relationship so that he could kind of piece it all together. And, of course, there's reminiscing the the time travel aspect of the film, going back to where the grief began, uh, understanding how grief works, uh, and and, uh, and how the house is built after going so far in the deep end that you could see the, the future as depression. That's sort of... And then remembering what your relationship was and finally finding peace to the point where you and definitely get that missing piece in the note. That kind of all feels like his attempt to move on in the grieving process. And it's interesting because I think Lowry's kind of looking at here how people grieve differently. Uh, that's why we get that division between the two of them at the same time. Uh, and it's, uh, there's a, I, I read an article about it in the Scientific American which I don't know how, <laughs> how eligible for repute that is. Uh, for repute I that use it is. with my kids in school, man, so you're, oh, you're good. Oh, cool. Yeah, so it's an article by Hal Arkowitz and Scott O'Linfield. Uh, yeah, so they had an article called Two Big Myths About Grief, and it discusses two misconceptions about grief. One, that everyone has to work through it, and the other is that death inevitably results in distress and depression, you know, as these two misconceptions. And they kind of looked at, like, 26 to 65% of people studied, mostly widows and widowers, showed n- no significant signs of, of grief, you know. After the death of, you know, the, their, their beloved, their partner, which is interesting, you know, it's, it's depending on your background and your relationship, you might exhibit nothing. That's, mm-hmm. that's fascinating to me. Uh, the other side of the thought, the delayed grief was also contested as a number of studies found little or no evidence that uh, a group of subjects for five years after their loss 
they, they, they didn't experience anything, you know? They didn't actually work through anything, which is fascinating, because it just it feels like something that's so universal. And yeah. at, at a while, for a while, I thought that uh, Lowry was going for a sort of uh, a companion piece to Interstellar, that universality of love, and it was going to be a universality of grief. And it kind of still is, in that these two process it that way. But I kind of figured, because it sets the two characters up to grieve so specifically... Mm-hmm. Um, that maybe it's not so important to focus on that aspect and more important to focus on how we as people are are varied and different. And uh, it depends very much on our personalities, how the, the method of healing works, what method of healing we need, if at all, uh, and how long these two people grieve. And I think he set up a, a pretty interesting case study here. Yeah, yeah, so we can kind of look at the personalities, even just little things. Uh, the ghost costume. Costume, I guess that's kind of simplifying it, but if we look at it as a... A sort of uh, what that ghost visage means. It's kind of seized depressive sentimentality. Uh, it's kind of his far closed off nature in comparison to M, who's a far more pragmatic person, very practical, who seems to be the working one in the relationship. And there's that distance between them. You can kind of think of how they were perhaps already dead from the very beginning of the film. And that... Jesus, man. Good. Yeah. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> I know, there's never, there's no happiness in this film. Not one, none whatsoever. And I, you know, to be fair, it felt that way for a long while. Uh, the, uh, the, uh, yeah, but I, I was kind of thinking, yeah, like going that, going that route of utter, utter depression. It kind of felt like their close moments, the, the moments in which they are close, uh, still have a layer of distance between them um, a lot of the time. And I feel that's maybe because what they're experiencing at that point is the denial of them already being separated. And what we get from the car crash scene is not a, a flash forward to the day it all ends, but potentially a flashback or a flash interlaced somewhere in between. Uh, so because the cut is such a hard cut, it doesn't actually suggest it happens immediately after the night they're, you know, cuddling together. <laughs> and it, it, it suggests it suggests more it could be slotted in anywhere in the relationship. The relationship, they've already died. And that's that sort of beginning of that the film is actually them going through a stage of denial where either of them, they feel like they're communicating to the other. They're going about their days and lives. But in fact, neither of them are with each other. So yeah, so and that, the car crash, because we only see M in that shot, and the, the broken mirror between C and M slices the two in half in that point. You could see that, yes, as an interpretation of the cutting point from their relationship. But you can also see it as a potential idea of when the story originally severed. Or even when, if that is a cut forward, when the relationship finally, when it dawns on both of them that they are missing. You know, that that denial has started to succeed. And then from there, the hospital scene where the two go separate ways, following one, leading one following, we then take a part where both of them actively attempt to grieve instead of, at the same time, a continual denial. You know, so it's a stage of grief and how people deal with it. That usually leads into our sort of breakdown then of a speculatory, what it all means, what can we take away from such a film? And uh, that is usually what I would do at least. You know, fucking like, what is, what is, what do we gain from watching such depressing crap? <laughs> and uh, today, I, it's, I'll just state what anecdotally happened to me when I watched this film uh, from that sheer sort of working out and experiencing someone else's grief in some layer, shape, or form. 
is that it led to a sort of a something that I, I found actually exists. It's called anticipatory grief. And essentially what it is, is you start to mourn the things you haven't lost with the fear that at some point you will lo lose it. And it's something that actually spurns out. It doesn't have to be death related. You can lose a job. You can get a divorce. You start to fear what you have, what you are, and you start to grieve for the loss of the thing in your life. Uh, and but it's not gone or you know uh, essentially you, before these things go you start to grieve to protect yourself or so the sort of consensus is at least that's what they, people think it is <laughs> uh, and I started feeling like I got a couple of the symptoms of that too because the moment I had seen this film I, I got really quite emotional about the idea of where my relationship was which is mm. I mean to according I, I'll be the one source on this since Maria isn't here to defend herself but I think the relationship's great <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, you know that's I I, I, I genuinely cherish it and, and, and not in a sort of Maybe in the sort of way that we were talking about earlier, that, that, that you know, you go for your day mostly not talking. It's because you're super comfortable, uh, and you've you've adapted to each other, and you know when to give each other space and stuff like that. It's a very natural way and a healthy way to keep a relationship going is to not constantly intrude on the other's life. The uh, I don't find that to be true at all. Constant aggression. <laughs> yeah, and to be fair, it is different for certain people. I mean, there's like uh, introverted, extroverted mindsets. Make the, some people need to be in each other's company constantly, <laughs> driving each other insane until the point where they hit the force and it all collapses. It's all caught. How else are you going to find out who wins is what I want to know. So, but I started to immediately mourn that. And it's maybe a lot, says a lot about my mindset. That I'm the kind of person who thinks about my death pretty often. Um, thinks about the eventuality of it and, and how, and what way I could possibly get around it. <laughs> and uh, and uh, yeah, that's kind of might tie into that a little in that um, I I start to then think uh, even just that fucking that pie scene I, while I was watching it before any action had taken when that when that uh, I assume the landlord put the the pie down on the table I was like oh god she's gonna come home and see that amazing pie and I started to think about like what I would be. Like in that scenario, you know, you're grieving for the pie. <laughs> yeah, grieving with the pie. <laughs> Absolutely, I, I grieve the loss of pies. <laughs> I mean, what was my life before? What will my life become? <laughs> the um, yeah. So the with the idea of that pie, I started I started thinking. I know this sounds ridiculous, but like I started thinking about uh, like. <laughs> I'm starting to laugh at it now, but it's true. The uh, I started thinking about like, uh, God, what if you know Maria had died and somebody had given me a pie, you know? And I, before the scene happened, you're like this amazing pie, and I was like, Oh God! I'd start thinking, Oh, Maria would love you know that pie as well. God, we'd share it. God, I'm gonna like if if I had a whole fucking pie to lap to myself, I would just eat it all like right there because I'd be constantly eating my feelings. I just know that about myself. I'm very you know, you're predictive about how you're going to react in terrible scenarios, maybe because mm. I've thought about it. And, and and this is what, that was one of those cases. And when she comes in and actually does it, I was, I was surprised at how immediate the film had managed to catch that, you know, and, and uh, at that moment that was just previously running through my head, it seemed so natural to me. And so I, when I see that, and then I connect that with myself, I've already connected the film to my own life, then the only natural 
<laughs> solution is then, anecdotally, I go home and start contemplating when am I going to die or when is my wife going to die and and how I'm going to react in that scenario. And I, you could say, like, oh, there's, there's a lot of logic that goes into how the film makes us feel that way, and I, I agree. But at the same time, the fact that it elicited, you know, it evoked that kind of reaction to me is probably why I'm so on its side. Uh, why I think the film is such a great film. Because if I come home with an experience like, God, what is my life? I mean, I can't really think off the top of my head a film that's ever made me feel that way. Um, and, I, and I think that it has to be maybe to the sheer openness of the film. Or maybe there's some very specific technical practices that have manipulated me into feeling that way. Uh, it could be either way. Uh, but at the same time, but the fact Your that love it of also, pie. yeah, I, I know it got me right in the pie heart, uh, right in the crust, the crust of my soul. The, uh, <laughs> the fact that that ties into that reaction ties into what I feel the film said about how people grieve differently. I feel that that all comes back together to say that each and every person that gets something different from this film is going to get it because it's so open. And the film also has a bit of a structure there that leads us to contemplate how people grieve differently, that you'll start to see that all kind of connect together. And so, yeah, you could maybe technically expand on that if you want. Maybe, probably not. <laughs> maybe we babble on too long about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Um, I feel like just asking, Mike, how do you feel about pie, Mike? <laughs> I found that whole sequence disgusting, and I didn't want to be a part of it. <laughs> the sound grieve differently. Yeah, I I don't know. Just you know, you, what if it were a cake? Would you grieve a cake? No, I don't, I'm not a big foodie in any real regard. So I I I I, did, I understand that. I've heard of that, but I did not want to witness it myself. Um, <laughs> it made me set the popcorn down momentarily because I didn't feel like consuming anything. Yes. Um, I don't. That that I tell you, my my biggest issue with that was I I did feel like he was. Uh, uh, you know, there's there's that torture porn genre of horror, and I, I feel like, especially with melodrama, it can kind of get to that point where we're <clears throat> we are just sort of witnessing people at their lowest, and it, in some weird way, it's you know, there's a distance, there's a wall there yeah. where it's like, oh, they're they're experiencing true pain, and somehow I'm I'm gonna be a tourist in that that yeah, moment, yeah. and I. I'm I'm never really comfortable with that, and I, I I don't know if upon rewatch I'll 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 get it again. But I knew initially I thought like I'm not I'm not comfortable with this, and I don't enjoy that this is being put on screen. That was yeah, my thought. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, like that's that's what I mean when I like when I when I get from it anecdotally, I'd say like it 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 was a thing that made me have positive thoughts. Ultimately, just going through this depressing shit show of a life you know shared and it's really it's I, 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 like start to finish it's one of the most depressing films i've ever seen in my life it makes it borderline unrecommendable to the mass public but uh <laughs> it's like but absolutely for like hey the, mom the, the did you right... watch a ghost story <laughs> fuck was that jason why the hell did you suggest yeah based on a true I mean, story like... ma based on a true story <laughs> that ghost really was that was real a real uh, ghost yeah, but I mean, like, the fact is, like, when I got away from it, you know, and I, I felt like, oh, that was just utterly, my crushingly depressing from start to finish. And then after a bit, I, my head cycled through it very quickly. And then I started to feel like a rush of appreciation for the life I had. And I think that's, you know, maybe one of the reasons why these sort of sad porn 
things happen, you know, like, you know, you, you binge on people's misery is because ultimately, and it kind of goes to that concept of schadenfreude as well, you know, where we laugh at other people's misfortune. There's something innate in humanity that allows us to turn negative into positive, uh, particularly about how we find things funny or uh, meaningful. And I think that a ghost story is potentially one of the most uh, thrilling displays of how depression can lead to a positive... <laughs> Made for a, the right viewer. It's, it's such a weird thing because I, I understood what he was doing, but my, my girlfriend, my girlfriend is always surprised at the lack of empathy I have towards individuals. And so I was sitting through that I'm entire not. scene. I was sitting through that entire scene. I was like, okay, she's processing her grief. Yeah, but I like what Lowry's doing. He's just basically live, make you know, it's TikTok, right? The fact that you can speed up. You know, in terms of film narrative, if you can speed up, like with those cuts that we were talking about earlier, and just make you live a specific moment, that entire seven minute sequence, you are counting those fucking seconds. And so I thought it was really cool for him to actually play with that fast forwarding yeah. time, slowing time down and all that stuff. So I mean, you don't, Absolutely. you don't see that much in film to live in that specific moment, you know? Yeah. Another yeah. director would have been like, Oh, they get it. And they would have cut and gone to something else. And he was like, nah. Sit there. I understand how uncomfortable it was. I didn't. I, didn't, I, I wasn't uncomfortable with it. Sadly, I, I think it was. It was designed to be that way. I, yeah, I loved it. I was thrilled, titillated by it. <laughs> Sadness. God, was, people grieving is like such a thrill ride. Uh, I had someone next to me crying yeah, while I was watching the film, and I was like, "Fuck's wrong with him?" <laughs> The last little bit that I wanted to mention is that I'd read an article um, where research had been done on how to help people preserve memories in a different manner than material possession. And I mean, cool. like, you're a film collector. I can see your collection right now, Mike. You got a bunch of stuff lying around. Those are clearly not your wife's. Um, Waste of time and money. Yeah, yeah they, they actually could be. You might just be an empty box collector. Even then, we, we have no and we have no proof they're filmed. That would be even more particular, strangely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We don't uh, know the layers that you you know nobody's so easily definable. I, nobody's just a bunch of DVDs on a shelf, you know. Right. But but I mean, sorry, I Jason, a, this has nothing I, to do. with No, but I have a fuck ton of films too, you know. And I mean, Lee's probably got some weird collection somewhere of some pie yeah. and shit. Um, <laughs> and uh, absolutely. <laughs> I think I mourn what, every time I eat one. The, the, the funny, like, I mean, you're, you're taking that you're talking about you, you came home and you started listening to yourself, you know, the inner dialogue of like contemplating your own death, what it all means and all that stuff. I had that, but my, with my relationship, when I talked about in my review about possession, you know, the idea of having lots and lots of shit, you know, because it, it you identify with it or it gives you some sort of purpose. You figure, oh, this thing gets me or I get this thing or something like that. And after watching a ghost story, it started dawning on me that I don't need any of this. And it's weird. And it's not in a nihilistic manner. Like it's all meaningless. It's just that the stuff that I actually do care about, I'll probably be able to keep it in my head. I don't need to have proof or physical proof that I have, like I, I've done something or I, I've seen something or, you know, that, that, you know, all the Star Wars shit that I have. I'm like, yeah, I like it. It doesn't, I don't need it though. That's the thing. I, I started realizing that I've just been, Spending and spending and spending on shit that I'm like, yeah, that's me. Yep, that, that's me. I mean, once you get rid of it, aren't you still you? Yeah. You know what I mean? And so I thought that it was kind of interesting that how the movie deals with, with that, that idea of, 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 uh, possession, keeping things for sentimental reasons. Now, the research itself is choppy and stupid because they're, they're 
solution to all this was basically take a picture of it. And I'm like, I'm going to take a picture of a movie I have? What the fuck's wrong with you? You know, it doesn't mean anything to me. And so I felt that, you know, the, 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 the whole idea of, of what means something to me doesn't mean anything to anybody else. You know, like when she's actually chucking yeah. the shit outside the house, getting rid of, she's not getting rid of him. She didn't, it didn't have any meaning to her when she gets rid of the house. So that's why it was important. Like when you were talking about the song earlier, where it actually, you know, it takes on a whole different meaning to her. She does have that memory. It does, you know, act as a possession. But I mean, it got me thinking about what Tyler Durden said in Fight Club when he says the things you own end up owning you. I mean, I wonder how, like, what is what does a ghost story say about that? You know, what what is your relationship with possession? Because it's as though, like, I feel now when I look at the collection I have, even the action figures, the Ninja Turtles and stuff like that that I have around here, I feel like I'm being haunted by some weird, inescapable identity that I'm trying to have, but I don't necessarily really have. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm. It, it, I feel like I've gotten past it. Just after watching the film, I'm like, I don't need any of this shit. I could cash all this in. I don't need to keep any of it because they're all things that I have inside that I'm like, yeah, this is great. I, I loved it as a kid, but I don't really need any of it. If I if I want to watch a film, I could just, you know, I could pop it in, sure, but you know, I could probably go rent it or you know on iTunes and watch it again or just kind of instead of reliving the entire movie, just think about how it affects me now. Go back and what what do I remember? You know, and it also started when I was logging in the letterbox. I was like, I've seen all this shit and I don't care about 90% of it. Mm. And it's a very weird thing because it got me looking around my own place and being like, I own all this shit and I don't care about, you know, maybe not 90% yeah. of it. If, but if, I mean, this, if this place goes up in, in flames, you know, there'll be the one, two items I'll grab and then the rest like, fuck it. It's gone. Yeah, so I don't know. How, how did you guys feel about that? That idea? Of possession, I felt like it is a haunting in a way because he he goes to the house and it is he's somewhat of a poltergeist in that place, you know. Mm. It is a haunted house when he goes back, you know. Is but I mean she doesn't necessarily it doesn't come off as like she's being haunted by the thing. It feels like he's actually being haunted by the memories he has of the yeah. environment. So it's a really Absolutely. interesting you know dynamic that Larry's created where he's kind of reversing it. It was like, oh, well, what is what, what does a memory have in terms of memories? You know, it's it's really interesting. So I don't know. What, what did you guys make of that? Did you walk in your door and be like, I don't need any of this shit. I'm just selling it all now. I'm gonna. I mean, I think there's there's definitely a I don't know if appropriate's the word. There's uh, there's a balance that you probably that's ever evolving as far as. Uh, you know, we're, we're three podcasters talking about, we're putting something out there about this movie, but we also consumed yeah. it as well. And especially yeah. when doing movie podcasts, you have to be a consumer to even create something else because you're commenting on someone else's work. And there is something, I mean, there is something comforting. I, I like that I have access to something tangible at different points in my life where it's like, I can remember you know, I, I remember the memory of purchasing that DVD or something or, you know, being with someone when I went, you know, bargain hunting. And, and yeah, it does supersede what's actually on the disc because, as you said, oftentimes I might own something, but I don't physically interact with it. I just see if it's on a streaming service first. And that's that's a, that's a also probably more laziness, but it's it's also just, you know, it's convenience. It's the same thing. You're just, you just want to yeah. watch the film. So I, I don't know. I mean, I don't. I, I know there's. I have a hard time understanding. I've I've been, I guess, a collector, obviously, of different things. But 
yeah, it's something that uh, as I get older, I find less and less interest in. Like uh, these shelves, there, there used to be more shelves, and I just I just keep selling and getting rid of stuff because uh, to what, that Fight Club quote. You know, I've moved more than a handful of times, and that's when you really start to question how much you need that physical presence of something. So, um, but I, I don't knock people who who have genuine relationships with the stuff they own, but it's usually related to something else. It's not, it's not the thing itself. It's not that yeah. particular Blu-ray. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think of the only thing I kind of quote unquote collect is like, uh, like I have a, like a series of video games. You can see a few behind me. <laughs> um, and to me, the, the, the video game thing is that as a kid, my, like my one aspiration in, in reality was to know if as a measure of success, would be that if I really had made it the way that my childhood self would have wanted me to make it, I could judge that by the amount of video games I have, because that's something I still connect with, but it's also something I, I cherished as sort of a, a gift at the time. It was something I could never really afford myself. Um, it meant, I think that the, it means to me to have that amount of video games even though, like, use with the DVDs and the, the toys and stuff, you really only, you barely ever interact with them. Uh, it's the same with me with the video games. A bunch of the games I'll probably never play again in my life. Uh, and I have traded some, you know, so I mean, I, I, I know that I am willing to part with them, but at the same time, mentally on some level, I see them as a level of success and that they give me some form of aesthetic pleasure when mm -hmm. I walk into a room and I see that, you know, the shelves couple of there's not that many but there's a couple of shelves with video games to them i go what well, you know that's what i wanted you know so that means things are pretty good no matter what's going on because ultimately the child version of me got what he wanted <laughs> so uh there's that life there but at the same time it is interesting that the film discusses uh possession and that this character feels he owns this place but then watches it demolish yeah. You know, uh, and, and take it away from him and then rebuilt from scratch. And at that point you question, is it even the same house? You know, is it is is this the place that you once owned if you know it before you were ever in it? You know? <laughs> uh and that that suggests that our relationship with things that we so you know, possess might be uh, something that's far more aesthetically important than it is important to us, because the one thing that's really important in it is it almost goes past this relationship to the to the piece of paper, which is kind of like the meaning between the relationship. And, yeah. and there you kind of figure that the, the film is maybe just commenting that possession is something that we do by proxy. You know, it's something that we do by default. Mm -hmm. uh, that that uh, we, as you were saying, kind of defines us in certain minds, places or personalities in our mind that we seem to define ourselves by or at least find comfort in. Mm -hmm. but not necessarily equate to the entirety of who we are. And when he goes back through that possession uh, to the house and finds that piece of paper, it's almost like he's finding the bit that was important to him. Uh, he's he's broke it all down, rebuilt it all, and the only thing that matters still, the one thing that lets him leave uh, and move on with his life is the piece of paper. So that means that really the only thing that really defined him is the relationship he had with M. Uh, I think is probably the way the film wants us to read it. How that reflects on us as well, it's potentially the same thing. A lot of people, they, you've seen things like minimalism as like a movement in which we give away most of our stuff so that we have less clutter in our lives, and therefore, and people find that they can function quite similarly, uh, if not more efficiently in life, 
and they, after a while, don't feel like they're missing anything after they get past that initial cleansing point. Uh, so, well, the, the issue I have with with any sort of movement, of course, is the fact that I don't want to be part of any particular movement. I don't. Yeah, like absolutely. Marks thing, but the, I, I think the film is in. in you can take this in a negative or positive way. There's not really any damn difference between us and these physical things that we surround ourselves with. I mean, it, it, he he dies, and then the house dies as well. You know, both yeah, are gone. That's and true. So I I I think that you know, I, like I said, I don't want to knock anybody because I do feel like whatever it was about that space did fuel something that was left behind or became important to this woman that he loved. Uh, and it probably would not have transpired if there had not been that that piano that was left behind there. You know, there's something that he had to use to inspire that. And I, I don't, I mean, you have to move forward. The, the, the one, you know, knock against the film is, uh, you know, we don't see how far down the line that would go as far as, you know, how how much is he going to plant his his boot in the sand and say, nope, I'm staying here forever. Like, you know, would he be pushed, would he take it to that extreme where he's John Cusack from High Fidelity and he's alphabetizing his records on the shelf, you know, to to the loss of many relationships? I, I don't think we know <laughs> enough about that character to say that he's he's that tied to that physical space. But there is something there. There's something that speaks to him there that doesn't speak to her, and that's fine. I, I think that's one of the beautiful things about the love story is that, you know, you don't have to share every part of yourself with your, your partner. Like, and you probably sure. shouldn't. You made this depressing film all the more depressing. <laughs> the, uh, yeah. Deep down inside nothing matters. <laughs> but at the same, but I mean, I think what he's trying to say is that you, you're not supposed to put, you know, you're not supposed to invest all of yourself into something you know the thing is is that yeah, yeah. there's always a part that you can keep for yourself where you don't necessarily need to identify with something else in order to have an identity you know and so i think right. that yes. it, that piece of paper at the same time is a validation so it is depressing in a way i kind of agree with lee it was like if that's what he needed to have this this sense of peace to know that he actually meant something somewhere it is kind of depressing where you're like, oh, fuck, this guy couldn't just move on. And I think, well, the movie is about that as well. If we go back to the portal we were talking about, he has to make sure, right? Yeah, yeah, and It's absolutely. a bit weird. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, and, and a weird anecdote that I can have for you guys as well is that, I mean, it got me thinking about what my father did uh, last year. And it really, really fucked with me. Because my father was a, a very avid vinyl collector. He had a huge collection of records. And, and, you know, he had his turntable and all that stuff to the point where, I mean, this is something that I associate with who my dad is as an individual. Um, and he called me up one day and he said, uh, it's all gone. And I said, what do you mean? It's all gone. I said, he says, I sold them all. I says, you sold all what dad? And he says, the records, they're all gone. And I was like, and it hit me like a ton of bricks. You know, I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? And I says, that's you can't do that and that's, i said and i said selfishly that's mine and he said no it's not he says it's mine this is my life i get to do what the fuck i want with it and i said he says i was spending way too much time looking for records not living my life or anything like that it just became something that was possessing me as opposed to me possessing it yeah and it took me a while to understand that because in a way i wanted to have that stuff in my place later on because i could walk by it and say Hey, dad, how you doing? Once dad decides to check out, you know, and so it's not something I'm looking forward to, but now that's gone. And I was like, fuck, that's a big piece of my dad. But after seeing a ghost story, I'm like, I don't need that. 
I didn't need that at all. I understand that for him, it was very a necessary step for him to say, I don't need any of this shit to function. You know, it's all, it's all crap. Sure. It's all just taking up space. I don't like seeing it there anymore. And so now I'm like, Oh yeah, but I'll be able to ha- I'll be able to think of my dad and be, remember that memory of the day that as he did that exactly as time. part of yeah. like, this is who my dad was. He wasn't the records. He was the guy who got rid of the yeah. records because he felt responsible in a way for his own fucking sanity. And I think that's a lot more meaningful. But a movie like this actually helped me understand that a little bit better. So it was a bit of a weird circumstance, you know. Yeah, it was kind of like you were anticipating grief of some sort. I don't know how that ties oh, into God. anything. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, any 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 last thoughts? Uh, final thoughts. I, I would totally understand if people don't dig this film but i i think that there are going to be a lot of people that i think the ones that do are going to be passionate about it and including strangely me who yeah you know, as i mentioned i have a couple issues first time i watched it where i was sort of you know wanting to fist fight this film uh especially during the pie sequence the pie eating sequence but uh you know eventually i think you just you know you, you stop i think you need to stop wrestling uh, with the work that you're, you're, you know, you're there to, to have a story told to you. And as annoying as it is for people to like talk during a movie or check their phones or to yell at the theater, I think sometimes you can even have that, you know, Lee, you were talking about in your own head, you can have someone you're yeah, yourself right. shouting mm-hmm. and, uh, sometimes you just sit back and just, you know, just let a, let it just sort of wash over you. Just let the story happen. And then, then, then have the debate later, like we did for three hours and seven minutes and 38 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I would say to those who are watching the film for maybe the first time, or maybe who watched the film for the first time and didn't enjoy it, uh, one thing that I think will be pretty easy when it comes to potentially, and I suggest potentially rewatching it, is that time passes faster when you've seen something already, because you don't know how to anticipate. You can't. You've already experienced something. You don't need to anticipate when it ends. Mm. So. That, well, you could tie that into the fucking reading of the film. Whatever. It's not what I mean. And what I mean is that the the scenes that feel the longest, the holds on the on the you know this, this table in which he's died, or you know the the pie eating sequence, they'll go by in a flash once you already know how long they are. And when you go back there, your mind won't be torn about how long this is and how long that is. You'll start to be able to experience what else is in the film that doesn't bother you so much if that's something that bothers you, because. That's how minds work. We we uh, learn to digest the same information twice a little faster than just the one time. So I would say if that was something that was preventing, potentially preventing your enjoyment of the film, that would be one way to potentially keep your mind open about revisiting it. For everybody else who did enjoy it, I mean, you're in the same boat as me. It's uh, a big open film that I personally really like. I think that something... It speaks on so many levels, mostly because it's open, and these kind of experiences are hard to nail down in any format, let alone film, which has so many bits and pieces that you have to tie together so well, story, visual, audio. Still, yeah, it's got a definitive start, definitive end, and yet it's so open that it either comes with you after you watch it, or it basically loops back into itself where you could start it all over again and, and continue that. That's hard to nail, and I think the film nails it in an incredibly interesting and readable and fascinating way that reflects very deeply on a lot of parts of the human condition and i mean what more could you want from a film that is about the death of a person ostensibly 
and probably about a lot more other more interesting shit metaphorically. Yeah, I mean, I I agree with everything you guys are saying. I, I it is a tedious watch at points where you're you're trying to get through it. Uh, I, I I I'll I add that I didn't feel that way. I didn't feel it was tedious, but I understand why. I you did emphasize that the parts that will feel like they're going a lot faster the second time. Around. Yeah. But I think that it might actually be different for me. That's the thing. The thing is, is that those scenes might actually feel long when I watch them the second time. Even if they felt long the first time, I feel they might actually be longer this time. Where I'm gonna, <laughs> I don't know if I'm gonna have that I'm fast forward, them so that much. <laughs> fast forward button in my hands. You're gonna be like, I, I know this. I get what they're going for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're really feeling the film of your heart there. <laughs> but, Logically, um, the scene lasts 20 seconds. <laughs> if I skip 20 seconds, the scene will be over. <laughs> Let's get the digestion. But uh, <laughs> like to, to regular filmgoers, I mean, like people like my, my parents or my sister or perhaps even my girlfriend, you know, I, I think that they are going to watch this and it, it's not... It's not a normal film. People are going to watch this and yeah. feel like, what the fuck? Why am I watching this piece of shit? And I want them to have that reaction. So that's why I have to recommend it to people because mm-hmm. if you're going to do yourself some, do yourself a favor and throw yourself a curveball every once in a while. And I think that Ghost Story is probably one of those curveballs where you're like, have a different experience. Don't watch yeah. Transformers a, a for the fifth time or sixth time. Yeah. Don't watch like the Emoji Movie as a as an interruption yeah. of your solid like you know exactly. general regular don't, entertainment. Watch something good for you. <laughs> don't go watch something that actually is supposed to replace emotions with stupid icons. Go watch something that <laughs> has emotion and might actually have you you know live something that's actually different than what you're used to. It is still fresh in my mind. I know exactly. I know the beats of the film. I know where it's going. It's still living inside me in a weird way. I feel possessed by it, if we're going with your pie analogy and then my thing on possession. <laughs> I just want to say That's I disagree it. with both of you. I, I'm going to throw this on with Miami Vice, a nice double feature. Uh, <laughs> plays out about the same way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no. But, uh, I mean, I, I, I really enjoyed the film. Go watch it, please. And I said it in my review. Get angry at the film. I want you to. Because at least you'll have had the balls to do something different and see something different, you know? Stop watching yeah. the same story over and over again. This one is something very different. And at the same time, it's going to be relatable. You'll probably find something more in this than some based on a true story thing or some fucking Transformers film with Mark Wahlberg. Who gives a shit, right? Watch something different. <laughs> this will be good. Agreed. <laughs> couldn't so, say better myself who yeah, gives a shit have, brings, us back to, brings us back to our recurring end of segment routine of who gives a shit <laughs> alright so shall we close this out sir let's do it alright so thank you Mike for coming on the show and talking with us about a ghost story a film who gives a shit not your, uh, not your listeners after this after they've listened uh, to this <laughs> I don't give a shit about that anymore. Yeah, they summed it up terribly, and they made, they told me how tedious it was. You have to have a high finish to get off to it. I mean, that's, that's it's not going to work out for me at all. Uh, but thank you, Mike, for coming a, on the show. It was uh, a thing. Yes, thank you. <laughs> thank you for that experience. So why don't you tell everyone where we cannot find you online? Yeah, uh, don't listen to my uh, podcast on followingfilms.com. Certainly not iTunes, Stitcher, all that garbage. Uh, War Machine vs. War Horse comes out uh, whenever I demo. Please, I don't feel bad about being two months behind for Rough Night. You people will listen to it when I tell you to listen to it. <laughs> when I decide it's a cultural movement, that's when Rough Night becomes worthy of discourse. 
Uh, so yeah, we'll have something with the ghost story uh, soon or later. I don't know with uh, Alice Bishop, and we talk about uh, the passenger and the swimmer. So yeah, at War Machine Horse on all your various time wasting social media platforms, and at me with pictures of your children or cats or whatever people do. <laughs> Other inspiration. <laughs> yeah, especially the cat photos on Facebook, WM Horsey. It's perfect. Sure. Yeah, I will like them or hit whatever appropriate emoji. Uh, <laughs> if they have one of a cat playing with a, you know, catnip, that's what I'll do. Or I'll just, I'll just Sweet. put an angry face. <laughs> Fake news. Same meaning. Yeah, yeah, do like I do on Facebook. Just go click sad on all the photos when people change their I profile love the, pictures. I actually like <laughs> the comments that have like little the tears. I love those. Like. I don't know. I don't care what the context is. I just it just amuses me to see someone <laughs> crying underneath a post. Yeah, it, I, I really that's why I like you, Mike. I get you so much because I remember I, I occasionally go walking, you know, and then I see people arguing, and for some reason I get happy. <laughs> it's a very that's strange real. feeling to have. I'm like, uh, I tried to tell you all about my relationship. That there will be an ultimate victor between my, me and my wife, whichever one survives. <laughs> the last one standing won this contest. This marriage. Uh, so far, I'm winning just by being me. <laughs> uh, all right. Thank you, WM Horsey. Lee, where can thank we find you. you? Yeah, you can uh, follow me at Big Pick Reviews on Twitter. You can follow Big Picture Reviews on Facebook. And you can see the website itself, bigpicturereviews.co.uk, where you'll see the reviews of myself, Jason, eventually, occasionally. Uh, especially for a ghost story, we've got good stuff there. We've got a, this is a, a nice sweeping sentimental piece which he not in no way reflected in this spring time <laughs> and uh oh, once it's all uh, cut up it'll be fine oh yeah sure sure <laughs> uh yeah, mine's yeah. a 300 words <laughs> open-ended piece about nothing <laughs> uh yeah so uh you can you can read those um there uh you can you can tweet me your your uh, reviews and I will read them. I, I wish more people would do that because I don't actually like going on Twitter to, to to browse for stuff myself. So if you tag me at me at your stuff, I would love to take a read of your opinions, especially of the we cover, because I'm very open to other people's takes on these things. But of any film in general, I'm happy to to have a read. Uh, so do send them my way. I would love to have a check. Jason, very cool. My name is Jason Michael. You can find me at, at Atlantic SC on. Twitter. You can go like our Facebook page at Atlantic uh, Screen Connection Podcast. Follow us on Instagram. That's kind of fun too. I like looking at your pictures. Uh, Mike's pictures of cats and dogs and shit like that. It's all there. I like that. It's always fun to keep up. <laughs> you, you act like I just wander the streets and take pictures of strange cats and dogs. And, uh, <laughs> Isn't that what you do? I never assumed that that was your dog. <laughs> uh, and that's it for us this week. Thank you very much everyone for tuning in. We love you all. Take care. Bye. Bye. This conversation can serve no purpose anymore. Goodbye.